Welcome back to the Mutica Movie Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is Pierce Bauer. What's up, John? Here at the Mediocre Movie Club, we're a group of friends who uh, love movies. And we select three movies, more or less on a theme, every month. We write about those movies at MediocreMovie.club, and then we get together on this podcast to, to break them down further. Uh, this last month, we're, we're continuing with like a 2022 retrospective. Uh, we've been doing this for a few, a few months now. Uh, our movies this last month were Everything Everywhere All at Once, RRR, and The Menu. Uh, we're going to start with Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, this is a movie about uh, kind of everything, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh as a laundromat owner in mid to late middle in like late middle age, who has a sullen daughter that she doesn't get along with, and a husband who's trying to serve her with divorce papers. And all of a sudden, she is confronted with the opportunity to uh, tr- travel the multiverse and see the various versions of her life where uh, her things didn't go as badly as they possibly could have. Uh, and she gets sent on a quest to stop her daughter from theoretically destroying the whole universe, but she later learned that she was trying to kill herself. It's a, it's, there's, there's a shit ton happening in everything ever all at once, uh, directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who refer to themselves as Daniels. They, their previous movie was Swiss army man. Uh, Daniel Kwan is singularly probably best known for, uh, the turn down for what video, which is, quite funny it, that's a good video and daniel shine solo work uh, would be a movie called the death of dick long which is about a mystery involving a horse who fucks a guy to death their sensibilities are pretty over the top pierce what do you think of everything ever all at once um i mean i thought it was good but I, I did not love it and i think the general response to it was like beloved kind of like underdog type of movie that like you know, the positioning of this movie when it came out, like, as a multiverse story, it was in theaters at the same time as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I believe is the subtitle there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the kind of, I got the, that there was some fondness for this movie as like a indie darling type of movie versus that movie, which was like the total inverse of like, a cool multiversal story uh, done on like a mass scale. But this movie, I like, I liked some of the humor in it, but it's not my brand of humor. And I think that was the, some of the distance I felt from it. And then on top of that, like you said, I just think there's too much in it. It's just, it was, it was like a little too long. Right. And Mm -hmm. just a little too overstuffed, which is maybe a, maybe that's a dumb criticism of a movie titled everything everywhere all at once. Like, maybe that's part of the point is that it's supposed to go to all these strange different places. But I think in the storytelling, the story gets lost in some of that, especially by the last like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie in theaters when it first came out and I watched it again uh, a week or so ago. Um, opinion unchanged, uh, extremely ambitious, well-acted set design or production design and, and costuming. There's, there's a lot of thought being put into this movie and, and you read about like the visual effects team of a handful of people who were all invested in this project. It wasn't to bring up Marvel again. It wasn't just like a directive from Disney, you know, work 14 hours a day, six days a week, churn out this gray slop so we can move you on to the next Disney project at the same uh, work requirements. Everybody involved in this movie clearly cares a lot about it. You mentioned the praise for it, not only as like an underdog indie 
kind of story. Even though, I mean, it's like an A24 movie. It, mm-hmm. it had support behind it, no question. But on top of not just like that uh, David versus Goliath story, but like the extremely intense critical praise for it, not just from critics, but from but from fans who have turned themselves into like the ravenous internet hordes that are like three or four steps down from Zack Snyder type people who uh, like if, if you say anything bad about this movie, you're a bad person. You've never seen the movie before, et cetera, et cetera. It's got bad fans. That's just the level of uh, that's the level of passion that this movie incites. And like you, Pierce, I think that is all wildly misplaced. <laughs> this movie is quite good. I think I think I have a lot of appreciation for its ambition. But uh, and we can get into like the meat of it. It the. The the emotional beats more or less fall completely flat. Completely flat. I did definitely, on the second viewing, gain more appreciation for how tightly things are uh, linked together. It, it does, I think, it, it's probably probably its greatest achievement is that it more or less makes coherent sense by the end. But the sense that it's trying to make is a lot of extremely shortcutted emotional links that just leave me completely, completely cold. Uh, I, I've seen, like, uh, pictures on, on on Twitter of people leaving this movie, like, just crumpled on the sidewalk outside of the theater. I, 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 can't, I can't understand how anybody could get there. Uh, like, maybe a little lump in the throat, maybe... But just, like, the idea that this movie, of all movies, is, like, this life-changing experience, like, that that level of praise is pretty much impossible for me to get to. So, you mentioned, like, the overstuffed nature of the plot. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But there's the huge premise of the movie, and then there is the very slow start, 20, 30 minutes or so, where it is just... Um, a day in the life of this family in this laundromat. And that was my favorite part of the movie before mm-hmm. anything crazy happens. Just a little aside from Michelle Yeoh's character, Evelyn, as she kind of gets lost watching some kind of like musical on TV uh, amidst all of the chaos that's happening around her. They're trying to plan a Christmas or a Chinese New Year's party and they're being audited and there's customers that want to be waited on, and uh, the daughter, Joy, is trying to introduce her girlfriend to the conservative grandfather, played by James Hong, and just finding this tiny little oasis for Michelle Yeoh. I thought thought that was fantastic. But then as the movie continues, characters are just giving these very long speeches about how they feel, and the movie has completely forgotten how to be a movie. Uh, it was that was was that your same conclusion as like these these like smaller emotional moments that happen in the beginning of the movie building into these like for my money like false crescendos as the movie goes on i i guess so i don't know for me it was more i think and i only saw this the one time but because they just don't and then you know it's only two hours three minutes long but just felt so much longer to me i don't know why but for me, it was just like, I, it felt like the whole, like, just that last stretch of the movie 
is just dragging on so long for me. These like big, um, like you like, like I like the word crescendo. Like it just felt like that the big emotional crescendo just felt like it kept going. And and I think in part from what I recall is it just was like, it's cutting from like, you've got the, like once we get to the part with like the rocks with the googly eyes, right. Mm -hmm. And, And you've got the Jamie Lee Curtis hot dog finger, like emotional arc. And you've got the Rakakuni, which I thought was funny, but like that is like a whole thing that's happening. You got the Wong Kar Wai parody, like, all these different universes that they set up early in the, I guess, in the midway point of the movie, mm-hmm. it just felt like for so long we were like hitting this emotional like crescendo, and I just I didn't want them to cut any more corners necessarily, but I just wanted the movie to like maybe maybe you cut out like two of the ideas in this movie, and mm-hmm. and 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 I think it just becomes a little cleaner and a little more enjoyable to like sit through. Yeah, that ending, it, it like it's those universes that you mentioned. And then there's like the quotidian universe where the laundromat exists. And then there's there's a universe where they're fighting each other and they're trying to prevent <laughs> the daughter from throwing herself into the into the everything bagel. Yes. I mean, listener, you must you, you have to have watched this movie to, for this conversation to make any sense. Uh, and they're just all building at the same time. And and also uh, Evelyn is is navigating through all of her daughter's goons and her and her and her father's goons who are all mixed together by like tying up their the emotional arcs of their lives. It is all just wait, it's way too much. Yeah, I can imagine being like overpowered by all of that. But like, are you really gonna like Daniel Shiner, one of the half of the direct half of the directors? He plays like the S and M goon. And you're going to be super invested in him, like getting a really good paddling on the ass. And like this, this, it's such a good paddling that he doesn't want to fight anymore. It's just too much. It's too much. I think <laughs> I, like, I, 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 I agree with you there. Like the movie is just asking uh, entirely too much of the viewer at this point. Yeah. And I think it's like, I liked all these. In, I liked all these performances, like, like individually. Like I think every actor is pretty good, but it's almost like this movie maybe should have just been about a mother and a daughter, and not a mother and a daughter, and a wife and her husband, and a daughter and her father. Like I just think that maybe is where you simplify it. But I also, you know, then you lose like, um, like I really liked uh, what's it? Is it K Hugh Kwan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, K Kwan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I, I thought he gives a good performance. I don't know if he should like win an Oscar for it. Like that's a whole that's a bit of a stretch for me. But I just think it's like I think it's great. The, his story is great, obviously, that he's like back in the business. Yeah. But like I and I liked his performance. I just like maybe this movie the, the mother daughter stuff maybe lands better if it's not also packed in there with the Wong Kar Wai multiverse where they're going through their thing. Like it just is almost is it, like it's just too much. I guess yeah. is the simple way of putting it. I mean to talk about. K. Kwan's character, Waymond, uh, Evelyn's husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like his presence in the movie, but I like the main cast of like f- three or four people. I think he's probably the weakest one because he's given the worst. He's given the monologues in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this mo- this movie about like about like important stuff and. Uh, like to dip back into MMC podcast history, 
when we were talking about Zodiac, and you, 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 you were saying, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, that you, you love that movie so much because it is about uh, humility in the face of a world that doesn't give a shit about you. And no matter how obsessed you get about something, no matter how hard you care about something, that doesn't mean that you're entitled to reciprocity from the world, from the universe. Uh, that's in the I movie. Think, you're, I think you're, that's a that's a much more elegant way of saying how I feel about that movie. But you're right; that is how I feel about that movie. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's all in the movie. I agree with that premise. But if if that's occurred to you by the time you've seen the movie, then it doesn't have the same power. Hmm. Same thing with everything, ever, all at once. Where like I, I feel like viewers are watching like the rocks scene where they're talking about how peaceful the universe with no life in it is um it's kind of the same shit where you know like the universe is black and empty doesn't care about our lives and will continue without us continue long before we existed and will continue long after we're gone not just we the individual but like we the species we the planet none of it <laughs> none of it impacts the vastness of the universe but then the the film solution to this like a nihilistic realization is just putting the right number of words in the right orientation and talking your daughter out of talking a person, your daughter or whoever out of, out of killing themselves. It's all very trite in the face of something that is not trite. The, the bleakness of the movie, like, yeah, great. That all sounds good. There's really no other way. If you're confronted with the idea of a multiverse, there's really no other way to uh, to conclude anything about your existence. But then the way the movie solves this problem and like leaves audiences feeling good is is, is just a series of of speeches. And I, I, I just found that so incredibly false. Yeah. And empty. Just you know, as empty as the vastness of the universe. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like I don't think because so we talked about Swiss Army Man on this pod previously. Yeah. Um, I'm sure devout listeners remember, but, um, but like, I was not a fan of that movie. Like I, that really just didn't hit for me at all. And I, and I always like kind of like my thoughts on that movie are just like that brand of humor just isn't, isn't mine. And that, not to say it's not in this movie at all. (laughs) Right. Well, so that's what I was going to say is like, I was going to say, I don't think the Daniels or Daniels, that's another thing. Like just go by y'all's names. That's, that's almost too cutesy too. But like, I have read read into that. They tried to refer to themselves as the Daniels, but Lee Daniels, uh, his estate or his production company prevented them from doing so. just go by your just go by your real names. Like, sure, I mean, we don't well, need a, we don't need a name for a duo of directors. Whatever. Well, but, I mean, um, seen like their Oscar publicity tour or like the pictures they take of themselves. They're very they're like a very arch couple. Yeah, with dudes. They're yeah, they're kind of in on the joke, I guess. But like, they I was gonna say like they I don't think their talents really suit a a heavy emotional story. But then I was gonna but then like the flip side of that I was as I was thinking about that statement was like. But I also don't like their brand of humor. So, like, I, I guess I just don't like them, maybe, like, and what they make. But, mm-hmm. like, like, because I, I don't think they handle the depth. They're not very adept with, like, the emotional stuff in this movie. Although I do. It works. I just don't think it's, like, great. But the humor, especially for me, is where I was just like, this isn't. There's jokes in this movie I like. And a lot of them are, like, visual. I think they're pretty good at. 
I think that is maybe their strength is the kind of visual gags. And that's what Swiss Army Man has, you know, like there there is something very comedic about the way Daniel Radcliffe like farts his way across the ocean. You know, like like I get it, but like in this movie you get like the Rakakuni and the hot dog fingers and like some of the fight scenes. Like I get that there's comedy in that. It just was like again a little too much for me and some of the stuff just isn't isn't for me like the like the butt plug shaped what was it, a trophy um, yeah like that was just like a joke and a gag that i was like i'm out like i'm just out on that you know and, and not out on the whole movie but just like when that was on when that was happening i was like this isn't this isn't me yeah this is a very honest trailers movie sins or cinema sins complaint mm-hmm. but if you're supposed to do a random thing to access uh, a different version of yourself and acquire their skills. All of this mythology, P.S., I think comes across pretty well. Like the mechanics of the world. Mm-hmm. For the most part. Uh, it's it, uh, one guy shoving a tax accountant's trophy up his ass. Okay, that's pretty random. But then there's another guy, another goon, who also joins this fight, who has also stuck something up his ass. So this is like two totally random things. Uh, bringing them, you know, skills from across the multiverse. Like, they should be doing different stuff. The joke is that they're putting stuff in their butts. Yeah. I think that... <laughs> I oh, think and, that and was their... Bit, bit. I think that was the ultimate goal. I, I can't imagine how they wrote that, but I think they were like, it's funny when people have things stuck up their butts. Which sure. I saw a short film they made before where someone kicks... they One of them kicks the other guy and his foot gets stuck in his butt. And it's like, maybe they've gone, maybe that's their bread and butter, you know? <laughs> uh, no courage of their convictions either in in the guys shoving stuff in their butts uh, where they blur out the genitals. Just go yes. full and promises. It's very strange for you to have made this choice. Yeah, I've heard it compared like a lot to like, it's kind of like the Rick and Morty brand of humor has kind of taken over, you know, a yeah. lot of pop culture. And I, and like, I like Rick and Morty. I, I, think so it's do I. Fine. I don't, I've kind of stopped watching it, but it came out when I was in high school and I, I, I remember watching it like it, but, um, but it is that kind of like, there's like a crudeness and almost like a, like randomness that like is now funny, I guess, or like, you know, or like, it's not even randomness, I guess, as much as it's like, something that is like crude and almost absurd, but like treating it very blase the way that I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like a very like common brand of humor now. And I guess this movie harps on it and like, it just isn't my thing totally, or especially isn't a thing that like sells me on a movie, right? Like it doesn't necessarily take me out, but it's not a, it's not like a positive. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the tax accountant, uh, whose name, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, whose name in the movie is Deirdre Bobirdra. Uh Why do they hate her so much? <laughs> this movie clearly hates this character. Like, they put Jamie Lee Curtis in this fat suit. She's sloppy, and she's hateful, and she's got her butt plug trophies. It's, it's a really... It, like, this movie wants to be, like, big-hearted by the end. But this is as cruel as a character has been, like, introduced or, or treated <laughs> in, like, uh, in a movie this, like, highly acclaimed that I can that I can remember in a while. I guess so. And she's nominated for an Oscar, too, right? 
Yes, yes. Dude, that's funny too. Like I don't know. I, I I again like I think there's I think it's almost tough to it's almost tough to talk about this movie void of the cultural context around it, which is like I, again like the David and Goliath storyline that goes along with this movie, not just in the making of because you know there's a whole side of it that's like you know these kind of like indie guys who are making this big budget not big budget but like like 20 billion yeah and like but it's like the movie itself is giving like you know the set design and costumes and action sequences like they're doing a lot with a little right and the the kind of david goliath story of like jamie lee curtis is kind of like this is like a interesting you know resurgence for her i guess and uh all the actors and actresses you know they all have their kind of story and the representation side of it that is like i mean the asian cast and so that's like like it just has a lot going for it i think that makes it almost have this like beloved you know charm to it to audiences and as someone who just doesn't like the movie it kind of complicates those feelings of like i can't totally articulate why why do I not love this as much as other people maybe? And then it makes you question like, am I not fun? Cause I, I think we definitely sound like grumps, right? Like people are listening to this thinking like you guys just aren't fun. You should just be able to laugh at a, a thing getting shoved up a butt. But I, like, I, I don't know. I no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I mean, like on our discord page, I posted like three links to movies we've been talking about lately, including RRR. And which which one hundred percent is going to come up when we talk about it, and and uh, Hartman was like, this is all I, I couldn't get through this. It's all over analysis. I'm like, hi, my name's John Kissel. Have we met? Before? <laughs> I'm I'm for the over analysis. That all sounds good to me. Uh, my favorite movie, my favorite moment to return mm-hmm. just like just the first thirty minutes, and this whole movie is this very human scene between Evelyn and Joy where everybody Joy is driving away everybody in the scene knows that Evelyn is supposed to say something comforting to her daughter in this moment and she tells her that she should eat better that she's getting fat like the the movie really lingers on that scene and it hang and it and it waits for Joy to react and it re, and it stays with Evelyn for a long time in summation, I really kind of just want Michelle Yeoh to get a role that, that doesn't turn her into like a martial arts queen or a member of the elite, like in Crazy Rich Asians, where she can just be like a relatively normal person in like a small, in a small movie that doesn't require a, like a stunt department. Because, like, I don't, I don't buy all of like the uh, talking your daughter out of committing suicide. I think that's like just a bad conclusion to a movie, not something you really want to put out there in general. That you can like talk people, that you can that you can just like put again, put the put the right number of words in the right sequence, and then all of a sudden, someone who wants to end their life uh, will reconsider. But all of that stuff, and I think this is where the movie's strongest praise has come through is ex- especially like, like you mentioned the Asian American bit of it. Um, like a first, Im- first, first generation immigrant parents and their, and their American born children. All that s- just seems exactly, exactly right. Like get Michelle Yeoh into like 
Hong Chao's role in driveways or something and, and, and age it up in, in some way. Like, just give her, like, a normal person role. That's, like, the last moment of, of like, real emotional truth in the movie. We're both big Wong Kar Wai fans. Mm-hmm. I think we, could, I we would probably both agree that the Daniels uh, have no ability to imitate him. Well... I guess it's tough because it's. I I'll say I I tweeted this. I think I think you liked it. Um, I went uh, a real a real like like real like um, on paper the sentence like is the saddest sentence ever. But on Valentine's Day, I went alone to see In the Mood for Love on thirty five sure. millimeter, which frankly was a great day. It was pretty. It was a great viewing. It's a really quick movie too. Really, it was. Great. Oh yeah, ninety minutes. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was me in a row. I sat on one of those side rows because it was pretty packed. Um, That's awesome. With, like, three other guys all sitting, like, one seat apart, and we were just clearly all there by ourselves. It was real, like, I wanted to just, like, give, like, Not. look at them both and give, like, a thumbs up. But um, but I was thinking about Juan Carway a lot after watching that, and really is, has, in the last, like, maybe two years, is now one of my like Rushmore favorite directors, writers. I, I think he's great. Um, and so I guess I was thinking about this with, with everything ever all at once is like, like there's a, there's this thing of like, there's a difference between like homage and influence and like, this movie is just parody, right? Like it was just taking the style of him and purposely it's like, what if there was a universe that was in the style of a Wong Kar Wai film? And so to me, like as someone who watches his movies, I was like delighted at first to be like, oh, I, I pick it up on that. And then now looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, that was like fine, you know. But I guess if you're someone who doesn't know maybe all of his movies or if you're not, you know, if you don't get the reference at first, like, I guess that's cool that they're incorporating that into their film for wider audiences. And like, that's fine. I'm not going to like poo-poo that. But I don't know. I, I thought the one, you know, until it got kind of tweeted to death, I liked the one line he has where he says, you know, I, in another life or another, whatever he says, another yeah. life, I would have really think, liked just yeah. doing taxes and laundry with you. Like, that's a nice line. And do I, the, you know, I think that, the, the, again, the audience response to it on Twitter and like that maybe like killed it and maybe it cliched it a little. But like, I liked that. I thought that was like a nice, again, like if this was just a movie about this husband and wife, it didn't have like 20 other things going on. You know, that's a nice, like, way to tell that story is to be like, what if there's a parallel universe that was a Wong Kar Wai-esque film about longing and, and misconnection? Like, that's interesting. It just wasn't, again, it wasn't like a, wow, I, I, I didn't, I don't really pride them and think like, wow, what a, what a smart choice or like, what a creative choice. Like, it was good. Yeah. That scene is in the same bucket as the WandaVision scene where it has something to say about grief. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, like, people... <sighs> I'm going to mention a Letterboxd review in uh, when we talk about RRR as well. I can't remember. This is just, like, a, like, a, like, one of the most liked Letterboxd reviews, where it's the review of the Joker, and it's, like, uh, something to the effect of for people who've never seen the ocean, a pond looks, looks like the biggest <laughs> body of water they've ever seen or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, car, my, I favorite, my favorite never, version of that is the the tweet that is like guy who has only seen boss baby reviewing any other movie it's like man this is really giving me boss baby vibes like that's the 
same thing, right? Yeah, more or less. Like maybe maybe the people that are so in love with this extremely on the nose line that is that is about that that takes place in a movie about the multiverse, which the the idea of which is that there are infinite versions of yourself, and the idea that the best version of their relationship is in a failing laundromat in, I don't know, I think it's California, is 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 ridiculous and insulting and shrinking of a world that the movie presupposes is is infinite. So uh, I I hated that line. <laughs> that line was a total that that line was actually an eye roll for me, like in the theater when I when I saw it, and I think I kind of knew it was coming too. Uh, just Wong Kar Wai would never have characters just pour themselves out like that and say yeah. exactly what they're thinking in exactly that way. Like they're able to imitate the lighting, maybe. Uh, he's wearing a nice suit, I guess. But yeah, it does the so, editing. Part of like Leung and Maggie Chung, like Michelle Yeoh's great and good for Kei Kwan for like getting back in the spotlight. But this is the standard that you're bringing into this movie. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to imitate this of all things, like in the mood for love or just in general, any Wong Kar Wai like back alley uh, conversation between two people who would like to be together, but are not. You did this, Daniels. You put this in my head and you're bad. It It kind of, it falls into the category. I've always, I've always felt this and heard this other places of like, don't reference better texts in your whatever, you know, your, your yeah. movie, book, whatever. Like, it's always, like, in a show or whatever when it, like, like, the equivalent is always, and there's a couple of shows I like that do this, but I always think about, like, it's, like, you can't use Where's My Mind by the Pixies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, you're just referencing a, you know, it's already been used, you know, it's already been done. And it's the same thing here where it's, like, you know, when you, if you're watching it and you're, again, a one-car wife fan, I guess, and you're just like, you know, I'd rather just watch a Wong Kar Wai movie. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, why are you giving me the the thing that's better? You know, you're teasing me with something I'd rather be watching, I guess. I don't know. I do. I do really like this movie, to be clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, we like this movie. That's yeah, We sound like such drums, but we I like this movie. It's stronger because like the podcasts I listen to are like uh, the like all three co-hosts unanimously agree. This is the best movie of the year. And maybe the best movie of the last like five or ten years, if not longer. That that's just take it easy. Reel it in. Reel it in. Too much. Too hot. Yeah, and I, I'm an Oscars guy, so I, I always like to think about. Even though I think they they suck, they they make bad choices. The the Academy. Um, but it's like yeah, I wouldn't. I don't. This movie is like kind of in. I, it's talked about as a front runner for best picture, although I don't totally believe that. I don't think it really is, but it, it's being referred to as such. And it's like, I don't, I don't, not that I think this, I didn't think this is a great movie year. I especially don't, you know, have a lot of faith in the Academy to like, you know, I don't think the best movie usually wins, but like, I would, I wouldn't think this is like a movie deserving of best picture, nor do I think it is a movie that like aligns with the Academy's like, you know, and again, I think the biggest misconception with the Oscars is always that there is this like monolithic academy mindset. Like I I don't think that's how it really works. I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's like a camel in that it's just a bunch of desperate 
opinions that you know the weirdest one always comes out but it's just like i don't think this movie's gonna win and nor do i think really it should um but that's just me may i think in another year if it wasn't kate blanchett in best actress uh i think the you know she could win for lead actress and like kehi kwang you know that would be like a fun win but again i don't really it, it doesn't like I don't think he needs to win an Oscar for this performance, you know, like when I was watching it the first time that wasn't even on my mind, you know? So yeah. like, this might be the thing that gets into the better thing, which is sure. Or just even like, he should just be treated as just a, a normal actor. Like it shouldn't be like a, I don't know, almost like a participation trophy or something that like this feel good story. We needs to be validated with an Oscar win. Like, no, it doesn't like it just, it can just be a, a pretty decent movie. That's kind of fun, you know? Mm. It did just win the Directors Guild Award. In, Interesting. In a year where, yeah, Tar exists. And I don't know where you're at on the Banshees of Inisherin, but I love that movie. I liked it. I, I think that's also like a... Like it also gets getting talked about as a kind of a front runner because it had such a like HBO Max propulsion, which we can talk about with another movie as well. But, um, but like... I, I thought it was good. I, I certainly didn't walk out of it. Again, I didn't walk out of it thinking like, wow, the, the Academy, that's going to be the front runner. Like, no, like I thought it was way too cynical for that. And I'm shocked that yeah. people are kind of watching it at home and, and enjoying it so much, but I, I thought it was good. I still, I really, the, the more distance I get from kind of 2021 or 2022 movies is um, I just think tar was leagues, like the leagues better than anything that came out. And frankly, I still like, wouldn't even say that was like a five star, you know, movie of the like, mm -hmm. like if I if I if I put it against the last like five years, like maybe it's top five, maybe. But like in another year, I, it maybe wouldn't be a d definite number one. But this this past year, I thought again with more time away, like I really loved Top Gun Maverick, but like Tar is just like a Tar is a pretty excellent movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were doing an Oscar pool, and that was like my long shot gamble. Mm -hmm. Like to separate myself from the pack was Todd Field winning for Tar, which seems unlikely because it didn't win the Directors Guild. That usually is the mm -hmm. way it goes. Uh, but I, I, I honestly would probably give it to the Daniels last. I mean, like to quote the Cohen brothers, like directing is tone management, and for all of everything, everywhere, all, all at once is strengths, which are considerable. Tone management is not one of them. <laughs> so yeah, anything else on this movie? Again, a movie that we liked. This is a big plus. This was in my top 20. Um, no, nothing else, I don't think. I mean, like, I think the, the the thing I did enjoy about this movie most was maybe some of the, again, that, like, they were able to do these kind of, like, kung fu homage sequences. Like, I like, you know, again, comparing this movie to the Goliaths of, like, the Marvel, you know, Doctor Strange multiverse, Quantumania, whatever, is, like, this movie does have fun with it. And it does have some, like, again, this kung fu action in it. And I, I think that, at a minimum, is better than, like, whatever the fuck Marvel's making. So, as cynical as I may sound about this movie, you know, nothing you know, pales in comparison to how cynical I am about the multiverse of madness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, our next movie is The Menu. Uh, this is directed by Mark Millad. Uh, All-star cast, led by Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Ray Fiennes, 
Uh, Ray Fiennes plays a uh, 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 high-class chef with a secluded restaurant, and Nicholas Holt and Anya Taylor-Joy are both uh, going to eat a dinner at his restaurant alongside many other customers who, uh, you know, more or less exist as as eat-the-rich types. And uh, the night goes on from there. It turns out that this dinner has all been meticulously planned by uh, Ray Fiennes' character uh, to end in the deaths of himself and his staff and his customers. And uh, Pierce, what do you think about the menu? I think this is a dumb movie. And what I mean by that, I want to be very specific. And I, and I understand what I'm about to say is insulting to any listener probably who liked this movie. Maybe some members of our own club here that like this movie. on the same podcast. Or maybe even you, John. But I just think this is like a movie kind of for dumb people. Like, I think the ideas in this movie are really simple and not that really, like, I don't know, not that, I don't know what the word would be, inquisitive. Like, I just didn't find this intriguing on, like, a ideas level. Like, I think it's just pretty, I thought from the moment I started watching the movie, I was like, I get it. Like, I just, I get what this movie is doing. And I know, I understand it's not literally eating the rich. Like, I I first predicted before I even, saw, like, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, oh, they're probably eating people. And then I was pleased to find that they weren't eating people. You know, spoiler. But I was, like, once the movie kind of revealed what it was, I was like, okay, I get the commentary. Like, I just thought it was a very vapid, simple commentary. And frankly, you know, think what you want about fine dining and like food culture and chef and kitchen culture i just thought this movie like was lampooning something that was like duh like okay like we can get into it more but i i i think it was just a dumb movie with dumb ideas behind it or simple ideas behind it and i thought the like at home hbo max you know like engine behind it kind of spoke to that that like people just kind of put this movie on and kind of mindlessly watched it and thought like that was actually pretty watchable and like that's actually the praise for it versus like is it actually a good movie with like anything to say not really not in my book but you you liked it it sounds like i did yes this also made my top 20 of the year mm. um which again I, i've i've said on the podcast that 2022 wasn't a great year for movies here nor there uh i liked i liked the way that it revealed itself as it went on like it does it fits very neatly into the eat the rich theme that has been heavy in the last that had certainly been heavy this year and has been heavy in a lot in a lot of recent years um good on you hollywood multimillionaires for really sticking it to your class brethren uh and then it becomes a cult movie in the vein of like midsommar where Boy, this cult sure is making a lot of good points. <laughs> I liked that part of it. I liked, um, I liked the various tropes of the customers, and yeah, like they exist as as types, as archetypes. But uh, as far as like, did the movie have anything to say about jo- joy thievery? I guess. That doesn't quite link with Anya Taylor Joy's character, who who is also part of the reveal in the sense that uh, Nicholas Holt plays the most pathetic man in the world and hired a 
uh, an escort to go to this dinner that he knew everyone was going to be killed at, including himself. Uh, she's also in the service industry for high-end clients. Ray finds in the service industry for high-end clients and the way, not that she gets a lot of joy out of being an escort, but he certainly gets a lot of joy out of cooking for people. And over the years, uh, if he wants to cook at this level, what that means has just like sucked all the life out of him. That all sounds that all sounded good, especially in the wake of Pig from last year, which is about something fairly similar, mm-hmm. and and executed better. Like I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree there, but that angle on like fine dining, I think is is very much within the culture of it itself. Like I think the people that people like Ray Fines in the real world, like at his level, not you know about to self immolate. Uh, I think are coming to the same conclusion. Like I listen to Dave Tang's podcast and he doesn't talk about, he talks about like microwave cooking and he talks about uh, finding the best restaurant in a strip mall and like keeping it to yourself because you don't want it to get overwhelmed with business as has been uh, revealed to be the case over and over and over again. Uh, people don't really like the tastemakers, like your Anthony Bourdain's of the world and, and people like Dave Chang just aren't interested in this kind of menu anymore. And and they want something like the perfect cheeseburger or not even the perfect cheeseburger, like a well-made cheeseburger. And this, this like return to simplicity that the movie is kind of about, I'm on I'm on board with. And, and like the chamber drama of it too, I think is successful. So I don't disagree with your watchability. There was a lot there. So let I, me say, you hit a lot of things that I, I wanted to talk about. The the most recent thing you just said there about the like, and and Bourdain's a great example. Dave Chang's a great example. That the cheeseburger. I just I thought that was so dumb, right? Because it's just like, what a. It's just like we did this in like Citizen Kane was like okay this like maniacal you know, maniac, whatever you want to call him, has this, like, touchstone, you know, he just wants the perfect cheeseburger. And it's like, but you just made the perfect point, though, which is, like, we came to this, as a, as a food culture, we've cut, like, 15 years ago, we, we've decided that, like, In-N-Out Burger is actually just as good as the fucking, you know, $60 truffle burger from the nicest restaurant. Like, Bourdain did this. Like, all these chefs now, it's like, we we all agree that, like, I don't think it's some great, you know, reveal or commentary about the chef and his character that, like, deep down, really all he wanted was a greasy cheeseburger. Like, that's that's just, like, 10 years too late, I think. And then, you know, to, so to backtrack through other stuff you're saying, let, mm-hmm. I also make this point. And this, I don't, I didn't like this movie regardless of this, but I just, I do think this is, like, a kind of stupid thing this movie does, which is, like, maybe equate here is like a strong word but it the the equating of like a sex worker to like a chef is like not the same right it is not the same type of like soulless selling yourself to your customers like you just can't make that compare like i just don't think that is like a i i think the movie thinks that is like a really smart reveal that it is making and that those two characters then bond over it that he like the fact that like Ralph Fiennes, Ray Fiennes, like sees something in her as like a you two are broken by having to serve your clients. It's like that's not the same thing. I'm I'm sorry. That is just like that is like a a really sellout like stretch too far. 
that I just like don't agree with. And I don't think that makes or breaks this movie. And I don't, I'm not even saying that like it's problematic. I just think that's like a bad storytelling, almost like not, not a trope, but like a real like mischaracterization of like a sex worker for like, again, this like false equivalency. I just thought that was, you know what, to, to, to uh, play off the movie. I think it was in poor taste, right? (laughs) Uh, did you see, um, was that, what was the, what was the Twitter thread movie from last year about Starling- uh, Zola? Uh, there it is. Yeah. Zola. I did not actually. I never, I never okay. got to see it. Um, that movie is also about sex workers, but at a certain point in the movie, the Zola, the Zola character and Riley Keough's character, like she's able to make her business work a lot better for her. And Riley Keough's character, who is totally fine with like sex for money. Uh, like needs that. <laughs> like she doesn't need to be taken advantage of by the guy who's Coleman Domingo. Like there's a better way to do this if you don't give a fuck about what it is you're actually doing. And I read reviews of that movie where like, oh gosh, it's so degrading. Uh, that that Zola helps Riley Keough's character like take on like ten or twelve clients a night. All this PS is like pro. Riley Keough is perfectly fine with all this. She's kind of a insane character in the movie and maybe in real world if the, if the Twitter is accurate. But approaching it that way, I think, is interesting. I think when you like watch a real sex episode from like 15 years ago or like read some kind of which, which I do all the time. I mean, of course, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. Always throwing that on. Yeah, that's the latest binge. We're just drowning in content over here. Uh, or, or like some Jezebel equivalent article with a sex worker who's like, it's like an independent contractor. This is what I do. This is how I make money. Like, I, 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 I'm I, on board with all of that. And if if that's how you feel about your work, that's how you feel about your work. Uh, do I think that the menu is in that same sphere where sex work is just another kind of work? Maybe well, it's, it's, close, it's. I think it's, it's more like, about close to that. It's I don't more think about it's the idea sex worker. Like I you could do better. I think it's more the idea that like what they're trying to say is something along the lines of, like the again Ralph Fine refines whatever his chef character is trying to say that like I have sold myself out and I have degraded myself for like my customers and he sees something in this girl that he like. Can, I guess like recognizes it himself mm-hmm. and I just think that is like a poor story note like I just think that's that's bad I think that is yeah. a, a like, misrepresentation of maybe what sex work is in comparison to what a chef does no matter how you know again like the nobus of the world like you know like I understand there are problems and there are you know any artist or someone who is giving something to somebody you know in service of them like in some form of commerce, like I get that everyone maybe struggles with that idea, but I just think it is a lame story choice to have that. And can I also just add, and this is not, again, this is almost a separate thought. I also predicted as I was watching the movie, I called it and I was like, Oh, she, like from the moment when he didn't know her last name to when she was like dressed separately and like smoking. Cigarette, I was like, she's the, she's hired, you know, to be here. Like that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll save my nitpicks for the end here, maybe. But I, I got some nitpicks on the story. 
Okay. I mean, let, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. Can I'm I just... kind of in the exact spot, like in your opening salvo. I'm kind of in that exact position. I do think this is a very watchable movie. I do think it's a lot of beautiful people uh, acting with a lot of charisma. I do think, uh, like uh, Nicholas Holt especially, I think is fantastic in this movie. I think he is an extremely attractive man who in the past has taken roles that absolutely that absolutely slot into what he looks like and how he presents himself in the world. I'm thinking of like a single man in particular where like he is so beautiful he talks a guy out of him. His presence convinces Colin Firth to not kill himself. And then he has a climactic heart attack and that movie is not that great. This, can I, inter- sorry, you mentioned this on the other pod that like you think Nicholas Holt is like. Did I? Is like a traditionally handsome man. Is that his rap? I always thought he was a little like dorky looking, but you seem to think he's like Ryan Reynolds or something. I do think that. Yes, I think he has. Yeah, I a don't. Very... I don't get that read on him at all. Okay. I th- well, I think I think that is lately, especially a result of the roles he's taking, like this role here, like in Mad Max Fury Road, like in the favorite think... where he leans into it so hard he becomes. Wait, you you think he's like heartthrob hot in Mad Max Fury Road? No, I think he's ta- I think he took that role because it would ex- because it was explicitly oh. I'm sure he took role for a lot of reasons, but I one see. reason was because it explicitly allowed him to do the opposite of what he had been okay. uh, what he started his career doing. Or like his, he, he didn't play Cyclops in X-Men, he played Beast where a lot of the, where some of the time he's, you know, like covered in blue makeup. Okay. Or the favorite, so. the favorite where he's in like full English patrician dress. Mm-hmm. The character himself is like super into his appearance and a man should look fancy or whatever the specific line is in the favorite. And it, it's, it's made to look absurd and ridiculous. Like, yes, this is in fact what a very classy, stylish man looked like in whenever that was in like 17th century England. And he looks like a fucking asshole. Mm. All right. I guess in this movie, in the menu, it's it it is like the read I really got on him from the jump was like this guy is a bit of a like like how would I even describe it? I don't know that he's like a tell me if this reads with you, John. And maybe again, maybe I'm alienating some listeners here, but like this is like an Apple Watch wearing, all birds shoe wearing, like kind of dorky guy, you know. That's like successful, like that has money, that has like you know, but like is not cool. Like I, from the moment, like when he was with Anya Taylor Joy, and again, maybe I kind of sniffed out that she was not really dating him too early in the movie than I was supposed to. But like I was like, this guy is not like he is a dork. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, yeah, just like the fact of. I wouldn't go like the all birds route, I guess. Not that I'm super up on footwear, but <laughs> yeah, uh, like the suit he's wearing, he probably spent a lot of money on it, but it doesn't look like it's fit very well on him. Or, like he doesn't have the body for it. Like he has the money, he has the means, but not the style. Yeah, you know, just like the, I think it's the the movie returns to the Paco jet over and over again. And if that bothers you, it bothers you. But just like I think that's a very astute detail about a guy who buys this high-tech kitchen equipment that he has no use or ability for. He just 
he read in an article somewhere that this is the best of this thing and money doesn't mean anything to him so he buys it i should say i think as the movie goes on his performance is actually like i think he's in the right tone like i think like like the like the and i think it's in the trailer probably but like the thing of like everyone's you know dead silent and then you hear like his phone camera click and he's like everyone turns to him and he kind of does the like he's unfazed by how bizarre this whole night is like i think he's almost in the right tone and maybe the like ralph fine ray fines whatever i i just don't i don't i didn't like his performance and i definitely thought anya taylor joy like she thought she was in like midsommar and i just don't think this movie is that right like she is trying to give this like leading girl performance that i just think like the, I, I wish this movie almost leaned more into the absurdity than it actually did and i think he nicholas holt maybe was down for that mm -hmm. i uh, think she gets i think she does really well with the more intense moments especially like that she i think she does dawning realization very well uh i and, and it, i guess it could have been on i guess it could have been purposeful because like she is an escort for this guy they don't know each other i did i didn't think they're like chemistry was good which again again is purposeful but it's it redounds onto the actors uh, yeah so so yeah i mean i, I, the, I the, the movie the movie is nicholas holtz for my money uh the people behind this movie the writers adam mckay produced uh the director mark Millad, all of these people are succession people mm -hmm. that's uh, the confusing thing from which is like I really love Succession. Yeah, Succession guy. I think that show does, you know, the the commentary this movie is trying to make. I think that show does it much better. Sure, I mean, it's like a longer timeline. Like there might be a moment in Succession when someone has a more of like a straightforward conversation, maybe about the hollowness of their lives. Uh, but in in like a two hour movie or not not even a two hour movie you got to get to the business quick like it's like it, it's it's the fourth season you got to you got to get it out. Uh, I I did appreciate like the level of misanthropy that's in this movie and it, that is also in Succession and just like the the I, I'm sure they got like a food researcher or food the the food equivalent of a costume designer to like get make sure all of this is legit. I, I did like that it doesn't look <laughs> that great, really. Like, uh, Nicholas Holt's reaction is is totally uh, suspect. Like, that's a big part of Succession, is, like, all of their money provides them no joy. It's, it's, yeah. lobsters, it's lobsters in the trash, and and all of this is is just because, because you have to spend it on something. I, I do go and like the like the s'more ending with like the dress dressing the customers in marshmallows and chocolate. <laughs> I did like that little speech too. We're just like <laughs> uh, this came up this came up in like a Conan O'Brien episode, uh, a podcast episode. It's like a running gag how much he hates s'mores and just like the very idea of s'mores. And uh, I really appreciated the menu. Being being a fan of Conan O'Brien needs a friend pot needs a friend podcast, where like this this thing is bad, it's a bad creation, but we have all these good feelings associated with it because of marketing. So everybody pretends they love it. I like I, I mean yeah that's fun I like that <laughs> I that was pretty good. Uh, 
<laughs> but just like, I, yeah, like, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like, does it fit in the movie? Uh, I don't know. I Are think, any characters real? Do they exist in, like, a real plane? Probably not. Yeah, I think, like, on some level, maybe part of my, again, distaste, a little play on words there for you. Um, I think part of my distaste for this movie also might come from just, like, I am, I, I, this is really going to sound fucking arrogant maybe but like i like food media i like i like i'm i guess i could call myself a foodie you know like i like i like a good meal like i i don't think this is i'm I'm not like a i think chef's table they i think they even reference it in the movie they've mentioned chef's table. Yes. yeah i don't like enjoy that show very much like i do think there is a level of like pompous nothing you know nothingness to like some of those restaurants that I'm just like, that's not for me. That's not what I enjoy eating. That's not a reality. Like that's not real to me, but I do think that like, I don't know. I don't, I I just don't think there's such an evil in the world to having like a fine meal, you know? And I think this movie tries to suggest that on some level, maybe. And it's just like, maybe I rubbed up, maybe I bristled at that thought where I was just like, I don't know. Like I like let let great chefs make their great food. I don't know. But obviously there's a sadistic, you know side to this specific menu and the chef i i know right i'm not i don't think they should be able to murder people that's not what i'm saying but maybe if those tacos were that good maybe i don't know i i, I mean i i wouldn't consider myself a foodie but i i certainly take a lot of joy out of food and i and i'm in the i'm in like the dave chang zone where like the my idea of that is finding it's finding the grubbiest place on Buford Highway that still manages to serve the best whatever I'm eating that yes. day. So so maybe this so maybe this is where I land on this movie on some level. Is like maybe I am just at a point where I personally because I'm with you there. Like I Buford Highway is probably my, my favorite place on earth, maybe, is the stretch of Buford Highway from Claremont to Doraville. You know, mm-hmm. like I just fucking love it. Um and maybe I have long come to the same conclusion that this movie is on some level suggesting. Or no, sorry, not that. But like, I think that like I'm with you, which is that like that food is great, and that and you can you know that metaphor for not just food, but like art, like high and low art, like low art, folk art, like whatever it is, like I have love for that. But I also don't think that means that like I don't know that like Nobu, which I I know has its own problems in the news recently, but like that level of like chef's table restaurant should also exist. Like I don't think it is that sinister to have like. I don't know, wealthy people eating, like, you know, gastronomy level, yeah. like, food. Like, I, I just don't think that is this, like, I don't think the this conceit that this movie is wrapped around, I just don't think is that, like, I don't know, like, inventive. Like, it just isn't a new idea to be, like, what if, what if fine dining was symbolic of, like, the upper classes, like, you know, you know, misuse of their wealth? And it's like, I don't, yeah, like, sure. Like, again, it's just like, I know this. I don't know. Um, can I get to my nitpicks about this movie? Sure, yeah. Okay, so first thing. You mentioned, like, the cult-ish aspect of this, like, this island and the Midsommar comparison, I think, is apt. I just don't, I, I didn't buy any of that at all in this movie. Like, especially, like, once it gets to the point where it's, like, so, okay, so, let me, This is this is real, like, you know, like Reddit board, like this doesn't make sense. But so everything about this menu, this night, this the experience is so, you know, down to a T. They have 
you know, the chefs live on this island and they've, they're planning on murdering these people, but they don't account for like the fact that Nicholas Holt's character brought a different girl. Like they just, they like, before she stepped foot on that boat, they just weren't like, who is this woman? They were just like, sure. Like whatever. Like they have tortillas printed with their backstories, but they never, no one until they sat down at the restaurant was like, wait a second, that's a different girl. I just thought that was so dumb. Like, I just thought the level of, like, if we're going to buy in to the level of meticulous planning that exists in this menu and this night, like, either go absurd with it, go all the way, like, sell me on the fact that, like, this, the chef and his staff and Wang Chao's character, like, they're capable of anything. But, but you then can't have this character be like, oh wait who was she we didn't account for her like that's so lame to me i just thought that was bad i i mean i'm imagining how it went in the movie like like the the day or so that exists before the movie begins and uh nicholas holt's girlfriend breaks up with him and he doesn't necessarily he doesn't i mean he obviously doesn't value margo's life at all he was going to bring his girlfriend of however however many months or if not years to this place to be burned alive so maybe he's not into that part of the plan that that is so individual specific. I don't. It's it, it just and like it. It very much to me seemed like he was he had a last minute cancellation or last minute breakup or whatever, and this was the easiest solution was to hire her. No, I I I believe that Nicholas Holt would his character would do that. I don't. It it, it kind of undermines the whole idea of the, the the chef and his staff and the like. Sure, but I mean they they do do this kind of production, you know, however many nights a week, where it, even if they're not killing everybody, like <laughs> this meal is still extremely uh, meticulously planned out. Right, but so, like, they, adding, they adding the mushroom or the marshmallow coats at the end is like the main the main difference. <laughs> but they did go into this meal knowing. Not only that they would be murdering people, but then, like, at one point, some of the chefs even killed themselves, right? And, like, like even that was a bit of a stretch for me where I was, like, I just wasn't... Not that that can't be the end point of, like, I thought that is an effective, you know, and, like, shocking, like, cult-like storytelling, right? Like, Yeah. But it's, like, you kind of need to sell me on the fact, like, I never was really understanding of, like, why would any of these people do this? Like, why would why would any of the people working for the chef be, like, and then tonight... We serve them their final meal, and then we murder them, and I kill myself. And it's like, I never bought that, I guess, idea in the movie. And it just wasn't, like, it was a little corner-cutty, where it was just like, from the opening of the movie, you know, she's giving the tour of the island, and you can tell something's up, and it's bizarre, and it's cult-like, and it's like, they all sleep here, and they all sleep in this, like, bunker. Like, that, I was like, okay, interesting. And then the movie just never really delivers on that. Like, they're all just kind of, like, mindless chefs that, like, follow Ralph Fiennes. And I just never, I don't know, it just always, it just, it didn't totally connect for me. And so I, I'm nitpicking it. Um, I think I, there's, a, there's, a, there's such a small distance between, like, a and and maybe I've just, like, maybe listened to too many podcasts or read too many articles about it about this like brigade kitchen brigade culture but it seems like there is a short distance between that kind of culture and an actual cult 
and I am a big fan of cult movies. I'm interested in cults to the extent I'm not watching like every Hulu documentary series that gets put out or anything, but like I'm generally interested in how they operate in real life and like the various tropes of cults and how they get people to do what they, whatever they need them to do. And I just recognize so many things like the Ray finds like bringing himself into the uh, like confessing of sins part where he gets like stabbed in in the thigh with scissors because he was harassing a female chef. Like even that is just like classic. Even I have, even I am not above you, even though I'm your leader, like I've sinned in the past too. All of that is just is like on par with, with the kind of like highly regimented hazing, level of uh, like GR Dreams of Sushi type stuff like okay you're going to rinse the rice for three years and then you can move up to the next thing Yeah, all of that seems of a piece so it wasn't if if the big leap that the movie is taking that like this kitchen that is run in this highly regimented fashion has like stepped up to the level of being a cult who is willing to like murder other people and kill themselves because the leader says they must uh, I can I can get there. All right, I didn't, but I'm fine. <laughs> All right, more. Can I give more nitpicks? Sure, sure, sure. Okay, can I run through? So some of the like these people that like, and this is kind of a trope within like these like horror movie esque plots where like a group of people you know are trapped in a place, and then like over the course of the movie you learn that like they were victimized because of like some past sins, right? Like they deserve this ultimately in the eyes of the perpetrator. Um, okay, so one of them is so Janet McTeer plays mm-hmm. the food critic, and they all all of this is very laid out plainly for them when they print their sins on tortillas for them to see, and it's like revealed like we know what you've done, and her sin is that like she wrote bad reviews of restaurants, like that's really like so horrible that like you deserve death is that like and you know whatever like maybe you know the movie i guess suggests that she was like bad at doing you know not doing it out of like pure genuine criticism whatever still the idea is like she was a food critic like that's Mm -hmm. that's so horrible like fuck that like fuck off the other one like the john leguizamo like he was an actor who like sold out like fuck like Fuck that. Like, that guy doesn't deserve to die because of that. Like, that <laughs> is such a stretch in this movie that I don't know if they're, like... Again, if it was, like, 10 to 20% more absurd in the movie, maybe I'd buy into that some. But the movie seems to somewhat genuinely present this as, like, a, again, like an eat-the-rich type, like, you deserve this. And it's like, I don't think either of those people deserve that. Like, that's insane. Like, I... Th- with those two especially well especially with the John Leguizamo character it's it I think I think you just have to get into like the heightened satire of it right where the, the movie just could have done a better job of that then is really sure better. yeah okay. and, and even like Judith right. Light like oh, Judith yeah, Light yeah. oh yeah like she's just the wife of an asshole like what is right she, it's like, like why would Again, it's like, I think this movie needs to sell me a little more on the meticulous, like, dominoes falling of this chef's master plan. Which really, by the second half of the movie, I started to really question, like, 
I, I wish it sold me more on that. That like he had this perfect master plan that almost like that is revenge on these asshole wealthy, you know, again, eat the rich kind of idea. But the movie doesn't totally deliver that for me, I guess. So that that rubbed I, that was I was like, what the fuck? Okay, so the last one, and then I promise I'll stop being a, a jerk about this movie. Totally fine. The, the very most important one, I think. Those tortillas looked like shit. They looked horrible. They did not look like good thick. tortillas. They were pretty and thick. They were, they looked like they looked like frisbees. Like they were like fucking ultimate frisbees. And my thing is like, I don't think this chef would compromise the taste of the tacos for this like cutesy gimmick of printing <laughs> laser printing like their fucking sins on them. I just wish the tortillas looked good. That's a that one I'm mostly joking about, but it did. I was like looking at it again, being like, this looked like shit. Totally fair. Uh, I think the key line in the movie is, especially as far as like the, the succession satire part of it. Uh, why didn't you try hard? Like Ray Fine in a certain uh, late in the movie asks, like, why didn't you try harder to to run away? You probably could have made it. Uh, and they just all sat there and more or less accepted their fate. And like I read that as these people, like, and and that's where the eat the rich stuff comes in heaviest. That none of these people really feel they deserve to be compensated as richly as they are. And they're waiting in a, in, in a way a lot like, like this is what I thought Tar was about too. And I think I, I think I mentioned this in our best of 2022 episode. This is like, I deserve to be punished. I'm waiting for it to happen. And I'm not really going to fight that hard back when it eventually does, because I've been prepared for this moment for a long time. Especially with the John Leguizamo character, that's what I took away from him. Like, I'm waiting to be punished for just living this life of mediocrity. And being not just living a life of mediocrity, which I think, again, is perfectly fine as someone who's living a life of mediocrity. I think it's pretty great. But I'm compensated fairly for it. <laughs> John Leguizamo is comp compensated uh, at, an, at an astronomical rate, well over what he is deserving of for the work that he's putting out. So I, I was just I was into those parts of the movie, which allowed me to paper over a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Can I? I know I said I wasn't going to nitpick, but I no, just remember yeah. I, I remembered one. Hold on. If you're Nicholas Holt, you hire a prostitute to accompany you to this fine meal, and then you're like shocked that she like smokes cigarettes and doesn't enjoy like gastronomic, you know, like drops of whatever the fuck of course she's not gonna enjoy it like what do you like what did you you thought she was gonna love this meal like of course she was gonna be like what the fuck is this i don't know okay that's it i'm done i'm sure uh, uh presumably a high-priced escort that looks like anya taylor joy has had her share of nice meals over the years i guess so <laughs> I don't know. maybe you ask her like on the boat before you step on that boat maybe you're like hey just so you know here's what we're going to be eating and like i'm paying you please don't complain to me about it or else mm -hmm. it will i will flip out like <laughs> you know i think the only people who say smoking ruins your palate are people that don't work in restaurants and have yeah. like appreciation for fine food i think if you work in a restaurant the clock is ticking like when are you going to pick up this habit yeah oh yeah absolutely which i think again is is like a nice detail about Nicholas Holt's character, who again I thought was just wonderful, just well written, start to finish. Uh, I, I'm a bit, I'm a fan of the menu. Pierce is not totally fine. All that, all that 
yeah, all that's in the movie. I <laughs> I do think it is a lot of fun. I think it's a fun movie, despite being about like a suicidal cult at at its at its core, taking revenge on a poison society. Uh, RRR is our last movie. Uh, this is a three plus hour action epic from the Telugu section of Indian cinema, which is probably best known as Bollywood, but this is technically Tollywood because it is from the Telugu region of India. It is about two real uh, revolutionary types in early 20th century India fighting against the English uh, who didn't meet in real life, but the director, S.S. Rajamuli, imagines what uh, high-intensity action hijinks they might have gotten up to if they did become best friends in real life. You, you mentioned, I think, that you hadn't finished this, Pierce. Uh, how, how far into it did you get? Shamefully, I will admit, I, I started this movie and didn't finish it. Um, so I, I maybe made it, like, less than an hour. Okay. Did you get to the opening credits? Yes, I did. Okay, that's something. Uh, I saw this... This movie's been on Netflix for a while. Um, I had heard it was a bad translation, a bad dubbing or whatever, so I've been putting it off. And it finally came uh, back to the Plaza Theater here in Atlanta in, a few weeks ago, and I saw it there. Um, this is a movie much like Everything Everywhere All at Once, where the praise is is through the roof. Uh, James Cameron is praising this movie as like an all-time action classic. Uh, people are dancing in the aisles. It was a uh, an extremely participatory experience at the Plaza when I saw it. A lot of laughter, a lot of clapping, a lot of whooping. The audience was extremely into this movie, and they had clearly all seen it before, whereas I did my usual theater thing of sitting quietly and taking it in. Uh, occasionally smiling and, and you know uh, RRR is no doubt a high intensity action thriller as James Cameron says it's also makes me just as queasy as any ultra natural ultra nationalistic epic whether it's made by Roland Emmerich or Ridley Scott or uh, Zhang, Zim, or Zhang Yimou which who made Hero, which we talked about, which I talked about with JR in a, in a much earlier episode of the Meeting Movie Club podcast. A incredible movie that uh, looks only like itself, that could only have been made by the people that made it, that stars Tony Leung and Maggie Chung, but is also about like the nationalistic consolidation of China in a way that made me, that made my stomach turn. So there's like the political part of my brain that interprets so many things through the lens of of history and in the sense of our, our nationalism. And there's the entertainment part of my brain that is like, holy shit, that guy just punched a tiger in the face. Pierce, the hour or so that you got through RRR, uh, what, was, what was your take on that first hour? Which so, we could say, uh, as people are so impressed when movies like push off the title credits, mm-hmm. it takes about like 40 minutes or so for RRR to do its title credits. Yeah, I think and it was the audience, the audience just roared when that happened. I'm just like, all right, whatever. They got to come up at some point. <laughs> yeah, not. It was not long after that. I think I ended up tapping out. It's also like it's, it is a three hour movie, and it's like I I car I watched it at home. I carved out. I kind of like put it off because I was like, well, when am I gonna have the time? And then as I was watching it, I just wasn't that into it. 
not because I didn't like the movie. It just wasn't keeping my attention. And so it was like the thing of like, I, I, I want to defend myself here. It was the thing where I had to be like, am I really going to spend another two hours watching this? And I just wasn't on that level of commitment. And then I just haven't had the time since to go back and watch it. Um, I'll say that the political stuff aside, I, I just don't know enough about that. I'll say it even like hero, which I love that movie. I think that, I saw that movie at a weirdly young age and, and just have loved it ever since. Um, I also like, I have no understanding of the politics of that movie either. I'll be honest. And I, I liked it. I love it still. So like this movie, I don't know the politics, the nationalistic stuff, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's whatever. Um, I think the action of the, I think the thing with RR that I, what I like is obviously, I think the action is just outlandish and it's just the full swing. Like it's just going for it. And like, as we mentioned before, like everything everywhere all at once, I kind of, but I, I applaud it for that as well. Like, I think that is a thing that's missing. Like we really don't get action movies anymore. You know, like we, we get movies that maybe are labeled as action, but there's not action in Marvel movies. There's not action in, frankly, it's just Marvel movies, right? It's like, we, they're really like, it's CGI. It's like what it's composite. It's, it's not, there's not that like, I don't know. There's just not, it's not a pure action movie anymore. It's just, they're, they're, we don't get those. And so I like that this movie goes for it, but I'll say like everything else, you know, when they're not throwing tigers or, you know, like shooting flaming bow and arrows, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I just kind of was like out of it, you know, I just, I, and I don't want to be insensitive here, but like, it probably is on some level, a cultural thing of like, just the style of storytelling is, is different from what I am accustomed to, you know? And I think on some level, maybe there was some separation because of that. That is possible. You know, it's like, it's tough to kind of take this movie seriously on some level and then to just purely have fun with it. It's like, well, I'm seeing through three hours of this. And like, I frankly, I, I like the fun action scenes, but like I could do, I don't, I wasn't connecting with everything else. So I don't know. It's like, I, 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 I think, I, I think it is good. I'm not saying it is a bad movie. It just, again, similar to Everything Everywhere All at Once was kind of a movie that I accepted was like, this isn't my style, right? I, I appreciate it, and I definitely... I, I also would say, like, it's a movie I, I enjoy rooting for. Like, it's similar to Everything Everywhere All at Once, where it's like, I like that this movie is getting huge acclaim, and that it is, like, you know, that it, like, caught on. And I hopefully, you know, I hope, again, these Tollywood or Bollywood movies not totally my thing but like international cinema like I hope more people watch movies like this because that's that's cool that's good so mm-hmm. like I kind of am fine just like stepping aside and saying like this movie's not for me but not because I think it's bad just because it's not uh background with Bollywood Tollywood there's a, like a third one too that I can't that I can't remember I, I have I have virtually none. Nollywood is Nigerian, so that no, that's not it. There's like a Sri Lankan version of of of, of it as well. Uh, how about just like you said, no, right? Very yeah, like virtually none. Um, uh, you know, I, I I weirdly, you know, you you've been to North Dakar Mall, um, at the AMC, one of the best movie theaters, or the worst movie theaters in the country. Um, they show a fair amount of what I assume are Bollywood or Tollywood movies. Yeah. As does um, like a lot of those, a lot, like the real Hollywood uh, adjacent mm-hmm. to Beast Highway. 
also yes. plays a lot of a lot of a lot of foreign movies. And when I say foreign movies, I'm not, I'm not talking about like new Romanian cinema or the latest from, you know, Kareta in Japan. No, yeah, it's, it's like it's populist. The, it's, they don't get reviewed here. I actually, you know, interesting enough, I have a student writing a review for our student newspaper of a Bollywood movie that came out recently. And she was telling me, like, it's one of the most popular movies, you know, ever, I guess. And we do have a pretty fair population of, like, Indian and other, you know, Middle Eastern students mm-hmm. in our school. And I was like, yeah, let's fucking review this. Like, we should. And and as I'm reading it, I, it was like, it was, I was like, I should watch this movie. It sounds cool. Um, it's similar. It's, it seems like it's in the vein of RR, which is that it's like heightened action. You know, it's historical epic. I guess mm-hmm. uh, I'm forgetting what it's called now. I think Parantha, maybe. That sounds familiar. Yeah, but um, but no, I don't really have a history with it, and and like I don't know. I don't want to sound. Maybe this is ignorant. Maybe I don't know. But like the way you know, hero. I do like that as a companion, a comparison point here of like. I was showing my dad showed me a DVD. He, we had the DVD of Hero. I don't know how he got it, but like when I was like eight, maybe maybe even younger, we were just like watching those scenes, and there's just something, you know, intrinsic about the visual style, the action, kung fu, whatever you want to call it. Like as a kid, I just like latched on. And I was like, this is cool. I could watch. I could watch hours of this. Whereas yeah. like this style in RR, which is like kind of. I don't know what the American equivalent would be, but like almost Zack Snyder ish, you know? Definitely. Like, yes. Yeah. And, and like that, three, like, like 300, like the iconography and like to get into the politics of 300 too. Like yeah. the, that's, that's a very good comparison. Right. Or, so it's like, like shots in Thor Ragnarok where like everything is slowed down and it, yeah. you're essentially watching like a fresco in like a, in like a Norse temple. Yeah. And like, I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it, but like, not not really my thing i guess not didn't do it for me not in a way that like other maybe other new styles of filmmaking from foreign cinema like have done for me in the past yeah um so yeah bollywood in the like that version of indian produced cinema i functionally have no relationship with i i ha- i have no good explanation why why sites like RogerEbert.com, which reviews like 15 movies a week, or the AV Club, which would used to do the same in its better days, I, I have no answer for why they don't review those movies when they will review everything from any other country, mm-hmm. anywhere else on the world. But this huge market, including like the movies that show up at really any theater in, in America, I feel like. I feel like these kind of productions are playing all over the place, not just big cities like Atlanta. Uh, I have no answer for why they get ignored. And like Chinese movies in the same vein, I don't think they break out in the song as much as Bollywood movies do, but Mm -hmm. it's it's the same kind of thing where uh, some movie called Wolf Warrior made like $700 million or Mm -hmm. something. And like, it was probably released in America, but I never heard a single word about it. And like, you go to Box Office Mojo and you... And you look up like the top ten, top twenty grossing movies in any given year, and there's all there's consistently over the last like ten years three or four movies that I have never heard of, top mm-hmm. grossing movies of the year, and they consistently come from China and sometimes they come from India. Uh, that said, 
the kind of movies set in India that would get reviewed by uh, like American art house publications don't seem to exist at all. Like movies that are out of the Bollywood style, where it's just like in an indie drama set in set in Delhi, set in Calcutta or whatever. Uh, I can think of like one example of that from the last like fifteen years: The Lunchbox, starring Irfan Khan, where he's like a he's just he's just a guy whose lunch gets switched with someone else, and he starts a correspondence with the other lunch owner's wife, and it's a very like sweet romance that is also very much about food and is therefore a pretty great movie. Or a guy called, uh, from, from the mid-century, Sachet Ray, who made the Apu trilogy, which is a fantastic trilogy of movies. And, like, he's not in the Bollywood tradition, in my understanding. He just made movies about people that live in India. And it seems like those movies don't exist in the present state. They exist in this extremely heightened state, like RRR, where characters do break out in a song, where... There are extensive musical numbers with lyrics that just explain, like, the emotional states of the characters mm-hmm. and the plot of the movie, as the opening credits song of RRR does. What will happen when these two find out, or something to that effect? Something to that effect. It's really pretty funny. Uh, so why RRR and not any other movie? I don't have an answer for that either. This whole thing is kind of a mystery. It doesn't seem like RRR is the most expensive Bollywood or Tollywood movie ever made. So that might have something to do with it. Like to recoup their money, they had to heavily market this in America. Um, so I do find this whole phenom- phenomenon pretty fascinating. Am I going to go seek out more Bollywood movies? Well, if they're three hours long consistently, probably not. That's a really long movie. Um but I'm certainly open to it. I've got a couple on my list that I'm interested in. Uh, it just, I'm, I'm, it, I'm interested in this like new cinematic tradition in the sense of just like, I don't know anything about this. I wrote in my review, uh, in comparison to RRR, uh, I had to think back on when I first watched Rashomon and just like that mid century Japanese style is also very different mm-hmm. from, uh, and you just recently did like a Kurosawa rewatch. Uh, you get used to it pretty quick. But it is definitely off-putting. Uh, an uncharitable view of something like Rashomon would be like, this is hammy as fuck. And then you just get used to it as the movie goes on. And like occasionally the actors break through that hamminess and get to something like real, especially in Rashomon, which I love. Uh, you know, big news there. But it was just something I had to get used to. And maybe if I watch three or four Bollywood movies, this, this won't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, I think, and it's, it's, there are, like, I think from my understanding, again, I, I haven't seen a ton, really many, but um, there is, like, a soap opera-y level to the, the performances and the plots and, and you know, again, the musical numbers, and, like, there are these things that I do think would distance an American audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, our sensibilities are what we watch. And so I guess like what RR seems to have cut through is that it just has the the bombastic action sequences that like I don't know, do people watch RR and they are they like these performances and these stories and this I assume there's like some character development throughout like I don't know if that's are people watching just it thing. Guys, really. Yeah. 
But are people watching it saying like that also worked for me? Or is it more that it's like, again, the same way that maybe audiences back, you know, years ago would like when like a Kung Fu movie would make it to like a repertory theater and people would be like, oh, shit, this is like that. You, I don't know what they're talking about or like these performances are wacky, but man, is the action cool? Like, is it that is it maybe just that? I don't know. Hmm. I would need to. I would have needed to pull aside with a, one of those hooting fans in the plaza and be like, "What's your deal here exactly?" Yeah, because like a lot of the humor is is like really like silent era humor almost, with a lot of like really big facial reactions. Fucking Slade in the in the theater I saw it in, uh, which I which I thought was just extremely annoying, but that's just who I am. <laughs> Uh, I think too part of the appeal of RRR is like it is as as long as it is in chunks, it's recognizable as classic American movies. Like about half of it is The Departed, and about half of it is and, and like another thirty minutes or so or an hour or so is Braveheart, and then it goes full Rambo in the last thirty minutes. So like we just have a lot of uh, a lot of shorthand for like the beats of RRR, and I think it's extremely recognizable. Even if, you know, like, there is an extended dance number. Did you get to the extended dance number? Uh, that- no. Maybe. Okay. That might have been where I was tapping out. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's it's straight out of a musical. They, like, take a big musical break. Whereas, like, previously the music had just been, like, in the background. It it it, it gets integrated into the movie at, this, at a certain point, And they do, like, a big dance number. That's the, that's the song that, that it's nominated for an Oscar. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's it's worth that it's worth watching at least at that point, I guess. Um we don't have to get just because you haven't seen it, we don't have to get into the politics too much of it, but I did want to refer to like a box a long box article that I read about this movie. Uh I will say that it ends with an end credit song after the action has ended. And it's about in the Indian people rising up together, et cetera, et cetera. Which, you know, whatever. Again, these national nationalistic movies have existed as long as movies have, exist, have existed. I don't have a problem with another country like doing the same shit, you know, per se. But, like, the refrain of this end credits song are the characters in the movie, like, uh, exultingly holding their hands up to these giant busts of these political figures. And... In this Vox article, it's somewhat describing who the figures are, but it's also describing who the figures aren't in the sense of, like, these were Hindu uh, representatives, revolutionary figures in India, and they're very noticeably not Muslim. They're very noticeably not from, like, the lower castes in India. They're very noticeably not Gandhi or Nehru, who, like, founded the secular Indian state. And, like, what's going on in India right now with, like, Hindu nationalism and Modi and, uh, yeah, it's it, it would be like if Braveheart ended with, like, the current Scottish prime minister, like, being held up as some exemplar of, of what it means to be a Scot. Or, like, if the Patriot ended with, like, Jefferson Davis, like, another great American Patriot. Not that... You know, I mean, I, I guess American movies probably aren't as maybe 
like blatant on that level, but like I thought this was an interesting conversation I heard around uh, the Woman King, who, which I also have not watched yet. Yeah. But that movie, like, similarly was getting like, you know, people are being critical of it for like historical inaccuracies, you know, in in ways that kind of like glorify, I don't know, something, right? But like the kind of argument was like, well, this is what all kind of historical dramas do by nature, you know, like the movies are the movies. You know, like that's part of the the game, mm-hmm. and like, why are we choosing to ding this movie? Like, what's you know, spot the difference here? You know, yeah, and it's Top like Maverick came out in the same year. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like Braveheart's a good example, right? Like, like there's tons of historical inaccuracies in Braveheart, and like, I think maybe when it came out, people didn't know that. Maybe now we certainly do. Like, I don't think anyone should watch Braveheart and tell themselves this is a a document of historical accuracy right in the same way that like like we're saying with rr or whatever you know all these examples you just gave of like you're watching you it's different within the context of this movie i guess because as you were saying the way this like nationalistic like it's more ingrained in the art maybe whereas like in american films there's just this like patriotism i guess that we we can sniff out pretty easily yeah. But like the two characters in the movie are real people, right? It would—it's one thing for the movie to like lift them up. That's what the movie's about. But these people that are lifted up in the end credits have 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 not been mentioned, and they're not characters in the movie at all. Mm. They're just like other. (laughs) All right, that's kind of interesting. Then it's very strange. It's very strange. (laughs) I've never seen a movie do anything like this. Are they are they current political figures that are? I in don't there? I don't think so. Okay. I really I don't think so. This Vox article was more about uh what who like the actual like popular globally known founding founding people of India. Why aren't they included in this list? And like the reason that the author of this Vox article uh, put on RRR was like, well. S.S. Rajamuli, the director, has had a lot of nice things to say about Modi, and Modi is all about Hindu nationalism. Like, India is for Hindus. Meanwhile, there's like 250 million Muslims in, in, in India. So that was kind of my thought, was like, what's it like to be in a theater in India uh, as a Muslim and watching this movie? And then it ends, and it was the Hindus that threw the British out, and the greatest heroes of India are Hindu only. Like there's a version of RRR that it didn't have to pick like these two national heroes. Like it could have picked, it could have picked a Muslim national hero and it could have, or like a Muslim revolutionary who fought against the British, which I'm sure existed. And uh, in a Hindu uh, nationalist figure, who fought against the British in more or less the same time period and had them per- potentially interact. But that's not really what the movie's about. I mean, like, the Rambo section of the movie, I'm not a Hindu, <laughs> but it's, as like, in mentioning Zack Snyder, like, there sure is a lot of, like, icon- I- like iconic iconographic images of one of the characters looking exactly like a Hindu god as represented earlier in the movie. Which is just, it's weird. It's fucking weird. The Letterboxd review that I mentioned earlier in relation to this movie came from, like, Demi Adejibiwe. Oh, yeah. Who said, 
who gave the movie a great review. Like I, I rated this movie as a B plus, four stars out of five. And like he just mentioned at the end of his movie, like, did I just watch a fascism? <laughs> and yeah, like that's kind of the question you have walking away from RRR. Like they sure kicked the shit out of the British, and which you know that's all well and good. Like the British have have put out a propaganda image of themselves par excellence, par excellence, like this like boot on the throat global empire that everybody thinks of as like fucking tea and crumpets and and all propriety and and all this manner bullshit when you know that's ridiculous so as as far as like do i have a problem with the british being portrayed in rr as the most evil of villains that have ever villained anywhere no not at all that all sounds fine all this extra stuff at the end is just is really strange i i think it's worth you know, putting on in the background at a minimum because so much of it is this like giant action, and uh, it's not going to blow your mind like character-wise, mm-hmm. like secret motivations and and subtle reactions, and that's not what this movie is about. Anything else on RRR? Uh, not that I can think of. Do you think more American movies should have uh, like extended dance sequences? Eh, I could take them or leave them. Okay. It's fun. It's a fun extended dance sequence. Probably too many white women in it. Mm. <laughs> it is at an English garden party, but still. The female roles in RRR, pretty bad. The two male leads, great. Those guys are a lot of fun. Uh, that'll do us for this episode of the Unique Movie Club podcast. Uh, three movies that people really like in general. Uh, we're kind of all over the map on them. Throwing uh, throwing cold water on stuff over the course of over the course of this episode. Our next episode, uh, we're moving away from 2022 movies broadly. We're doing the aforementioned Women Woman King. We're doing What's Love Got to Do with the Tina Turner biopic, and we're doing Love and Basketball. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Media Movie Club and Twitter at Media Movie Club and Instagram at Media Movie Club. Thank you for joining me tonight, Pierce. Of course. Have a good night.